Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. We are coming to the end of our series called The Holy Spirit. We're getting close anyways. We've only got like three or four months left. So no, I'm just kidding. We've got like two or three weeks left after today, um, which is a bummer. But also the thing about coming to the end of a series on the Holy Spirit is it's like coming to the book, end of the book of Acts. When you come to the end of the book of Acts, you realize it's our turn. That when you come to the end, you're actually at the beginning. It's the beginning for us. And one of the great things about a series on the Holy Spirit is that we believe. It's one of the great things about being a Pentecostal is that we believe that when this thing was done being written, that it is still not the end of the story. And that we and what we live is this experience. And there are some who don't believe that. There are some who believe that when this thing was written and done, that that was the end of the things that happened in it. And now our experience is totally different. But for us, we believe that it's just the beginning. And that for us now, we live this stuff. That this is our experience. And so that's why we love talking about the Holy Spirit, or I love talking about the Holy Spirit, in spite of the fact that we have three weeks left. Um, we believe that this is just the beginning. And so I hope that that's what you believe too, because it means great things for us. It means incredible things for you and for me. But we do only have three weeks left. If you've not been a part of this series, it's really been a very simple series. All we've been doing is reading the stories of how the Holy Spirit moved in the ages prior to ours, right? So how did the Holy Spirit move? Um, really starting at the left side of the book, in many ways, we've just started at the left and read towards the right. And there's something in here. Oh, that's like something I don't need. So so we just start at the left, we read towards the right, and that's all we've been doing and reading those occasions where the Holy Spirit um, uh, shows up. Like where, that's the other reason why it's good to be a Pentecostal, okay? So the other reason why it's good to be a Pentecostal is anytime you like find something in your Bible, like it might be that somebody the week before walked up to you and gave you a Pentecostal handshake. <laughs> Do you know what a Pentecostal handshake is? Pentecostal handshake is when someone comes up and gives you a hand and you realize there's something in that hand. It's like a $100 bill for you or something. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be careful. One time somebody gave me a Pentecostal handshake when I was a youth pastor here, and I stuck it in my jacket pocket, right? I was wearing a suit that day. Now, I wore a suit every Sunday, all the time, right? And, and so the next time I wore that suit was like two or three years later. And I'm like, I grab, the, I grab it, and I reach into the pocket, and there's like a $100 bill in there. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> On the flip side of that was one time somebody decided to hand me their tithe check. 
And this is why, as the pastor of praise, if somebody comes up to me and tries to hand me a check that's for praise, I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. Drop it in one of the offering boxes, please, because there's no guarantee. So like a couple years later, I put that jacket back on. There's the check. So I had to contact that person and say, I'm so sorry. I just found the check that you gave me. So I don't accept people's offerings, even if you give it to me. Some people try to do that. I just say, no, thank you. No, thank you. Just give it in the offering box. They can get it for you. But what's really nice about being a Pentecostal is those Pentecostal handshakes. I've never heard of a Baptist handshake. (laughs) So another reason to be a Pentecostal is Pentecostal handshakes. Can I get an amen? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're with me. Now we're talking about a $100 bill in your pocket. Now you're happy about it. Um, But that's all we've been doing is reading about the Holy Spirit and seeing how the Holy Spirit then in ages prior to ours has shown himself. Right? And so the tagline to the series is just called Rethinking the Spirit of Our Age. Rethinking the Spirit of Our Age. Last week, you all were troopers. Troopers. If you weren't here last week, what I did was I just started in the book of Luke, and I read every time that the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Luke, which was a lot. And, and, and in the middle, people were kind of getting a little antsy, like, oh my goodness, we're never going to be done with this thing. But but as part of that, we just recognize that, that the Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus Christ did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And not everybody knows that. Some people think that Jesus did what he did because he was Jesus or, or by the power of the fact that he was Jesus. People think that he healed because he was Jesus. People think that he cast out demons just because He was Lord. He prophesied because he was God, because he was the word of God. He was resurrected because death couldn't hold him down. But that's not what scripture actually tells us. Scripture says that everything Jesus did was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I showed you this last week. By the power of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 10, 38, Jesus healed. According to Matthew 12, 28, he drove out demons. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did that. That even Jesus taught his disciples, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a part of everything he did. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus' experience. And that's what Acts chapter 10, again, verse 38 says. I'm just going to read this to set it up. And you know that Jesus, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And yet we noticed last week that in spite of the fact that everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Spirit, that as soon as Jesus steps into his ministry, the Holy Spirit seems to disappear from the narrative. In many ways, he's not mentioned at all in Luke after Jesus steps into his ministry. And and you wonder, why is that? Why doesn't it say that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, cast out a demon? Why doesn't it say that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, healed the blind guy? Because that's what it says in Acts. The same writer, Luke, wrote Luke and Acts. And when he writes about Peter doing things like healing somebody, he says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, healed the guy. Right? But he doesn't say that about Jesus. And the reason why is that the Holy Spirit 
pushes Jesus to the center stage. He glorifies Jesus. He wants Jesus to be lifted up because as Jesus Christ is lifted up, the Holy Spirit then draws all to him. And, and no one can come to God unless God draws them. That's what Scripture says. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So that's where we've been. Jesus lived the perfect life by the power of the Holy Spirit. He does all that's asked of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the new Adam by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is perfectly obedient by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus dies and rises again, he rises again according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's where we were last week. That's where we're going to pick up this week. I want to pick up on, in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is Easter Sunday. So you can go to praise.fyi. You can find the sermon notes there. Um, you can also just take notes. There's at least one thing that if I were you, I'd write it down um, but, or keep note of it in your phone or whatever. But we're going to be reading right after Jesus rose again. Right? So he rises again. Mary comes, tells all the disciples, hey, Jesus has risen again. And um, they don't believe her at first, or they kind of believe her. They go check it out for themselves. But here we are, rethinking the spirit of our age. And if we're rethinking the spirit of our age, then today's title is The Age of Our Spirit. The Age of Our Spirit. So this is Easter, Sunday night. And we're going to start reading in John chapter 20, verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. 19. This is the night when Jesus rose from the grave, okay, that morning. John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. This is Easter night. This is and it doesn't say that it's just 10 disciples. A lot of times people think this must be 10 disciples. Thomas is gone. Judas is gone. But in reality, this is probably more than just 10 disciples. This is a bunch of his disciples. Maybe all of his disciples or most of his disciples. Um, but it's more than just 10 of them. They're gathering, but they're gathering in secret because Jesus was just killed on Friday. I know Mary said she saw Jesus that morning, but they're still afraid of what might happen to them if they are found. And Jesus shows up right in the middle of them and says, hello there. <laughs> Never mind. Actually, he says, peace be with you, which probably is like shalom. He probably just steps into their midst. So maybe shalom there, whatever. Like, but he stands right in the middle of them. The doors are locked. And I cannot tell you, even just this week, people that I have prayed for that to happen for them going through difficult things with family members who are on the edge of death. And I just prayed, oh Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stand in their midst and speak peace to them. That's what Jesus does. He shows up and he says, shalom, peace be with you. It says, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side, and his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Yeah, I would think so. They're filled with joy. They're probably filled with fear. They're probably filled with a lot of things in that moment. There's a lot of emotions probably showing up in this moment. And so again, he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending 
you. So how did the Father send him? How did the Father send Jesus? He sent Jesus to live among us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, now Jesus is sending them to live among people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's when this next verse happens, which is really where we're going to be today. Verse 22. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this is Easter night, right? Jesus had just risen from the grave. And he says to his disciples, in the same way that I came and I lived, now I want you to go and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them. It doesn't say whether he breathes on them individually or if he breathes on them from the front corporately, kind of enacting it symbolically. But it says that he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever been in a prayer service where somebody breathed on you as part of it? Yeah, I did too. Someone did that to me once, did nothing for me, okay? But this, in this moment, is Jesus himself doing that to his disciples. And we don't know if he was a, or if it was like, it, we don't know exactly what's happening here. In fact, there's a lot of different interpretations as to what's happening here. It's important to know what's happening here because this is Easter Sunday night. And so there are all over the map as to what's actually going on here. There are some people who believe that this is Acts 2 from John's perspective, which doesn't really make sense because very clearly Acts says that that happened at Pentecost. And so some people say, well, this is just John's perspective. And so his time is kind of, you know, timey-wimey, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so maybe... Maybe wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, whatever it is. And so for John, it's not as important that we get exact dates. And so some people think that that's what's happening here. That doesn't really make sense. So then some people say what's happening here is that John is, or Jesus is, doing this prophetically to tell his disciples, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, but he's doing it prophetically, and it doesn't actually happen until Acts chapter 2, okay? So some people think that. And then some people say, they look at this and they say, well, really, probably that doesn't make sense and the other one doesn't really make sense. So probably what's happening here is Jesus is just giving them like a little helping of the Holy Spirit to kind of help them for the next 50 days until they get to Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit really shows up. So like that, that would be like when you get home from work and dinner's still like an hour away. And so you go to the counter and you get some nuts or some sort of snack, get a little protein. So this, some people would say, is like a, a spirit snack for the disciples to give them just enough power to make it through the next 50 days, okay? None of those really make sense. None of those really kind of fit with First, the promises that Jesus has made, or with how the Holy Spirit has moved. And so it doesn't seem like any of those things really kind of fit what's going on here. And it's important that we know what's going on here, because it's a big deal what's going on here. And so it's worth it for us to stop and to think about what is actually happening when it says, Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
part of the reason why it's so difficult to figure out what's happening here is because that word breathe is only used here in all the New Testament. So when you're trying to figure out what something means, what you'll do is you'll go and you'll look and you'll see, okay, so where did John use that word elsewise, right? Like, where else does he use that word? And if he uses it in a certain way, then you're like, okay, so that makes sense if we take that and we figure out and say that that's probably how he's using it here. John doesn't use this word anywhere else. The word breathe. All the other words he does, but that one in particular, when Jesus breathes over the disciples, John doesn't say that anywhere else. You know what else is interesting? Nobody else does either. All through the New Testament, the word that's used here for breathe is not used anywhere else. There are other words that are used for breathe. So then if you're trying to figure it out, you go, okay, so what did other Greek people, how did they use that word? And so that's how some people try to figure out what's happening here. What helps us is this. In John's day, when this was written, the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. And this word breathe is used in two books in the Old Testament. And only two. Genesis and Ezekiel. So what we're going to do is we're going to read both of the occasions. There's lots of times where it says breathe, but there are only two occasions, two books that use this word for breathe, okay? The first one is in Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7. I've heard this verse before. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Where we started this whole series, (laughs) back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, with the creation of man and the fact that the Spirit of God was put into humanity, encoded within our very being. The first place the word breathed is used, it is used in that way, that same word. When God, by his Holy Spirit, makes humanity different than everything else in all of creation by putting his Spirit inside of them when he gave us life and breath and everything according to Acts 17, 25. And when he, in him, we live and move and have our being according to verse 28. That is the one place that this word is used in Genesis. But it's not the only place it's used. It's also used in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5 and following. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5, here's what it says. This is a prophecy that Ezekiel gives. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life And then you will know that I am the Lord. 
So I spoke this message just as he had told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe right there. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. These are the two places where that same word breathe is used. As when Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 22 says, or speaks over them and says, receive the Holy Spirit and then breathes into him. So here is a promise. One, first, this is how God made us. When he made us live, he did it in this way. Two, a promise of a day when the Spirit will be put inside of humanity and we will live again. So what is happening in John chapter 20, verse 22? I have no doubt in my mind that this is a promise of new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no doubt in my mind that in John chapter 20, verse 22, in fact, nobody doubts 2022 is talking about or pulling from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and Exodus chapter 37, verse 9. There is no doubt that that's what's happening here. Everybody says that. Everybody points to that fact. But some people have difficulty with saying, wait a second. If this is different than Acts chapter 2, then that must mean there are two unique experiences. And for us, that's not a problem. So when we approach this, we say this must be the giving of the Holy Spirit that gives new life. Jesus hints at it in John chapter 3. He says, he says listen, we don't know where the Spirit comes from or goes. It's like the wind, but you can sense his effect. And then there it says he talks about new birth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus tells them in John chapter 7 at the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is a unique and an important time for Jesus to do this. When he stands up and he says, listen, come to me. Everybody who is thirsty, come to me. And I will make sure that there are waters that come out of you. There will be anyone who comes and drinks. Rivers of living water will flow from your heart. And it says in John chapter 7, verse 39, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone who believed in him. 
But the Spirit had not yet been given because he hadn't yet been glorified. So Jesus dies, raises from the dead, and he wastes no time. (laughs) They're sitting there in this room together. Doors are locked. Jesus says, doors locked, can't keep me out. And he stands right in the midst of them, and then he says, here is my spirit. He breathes on them and reenacts Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, fulfills Ezekiel chapter 37, and gives him his Holy Spirit, which makes them new and alive in a new way. This must be salvation. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the experience that you have had. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit of God, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God dwelled within you. It is no small thing that it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's, let's back up for a moment here and think about this because Feast of Tabernacles is celebrating when they came out of Egypt, which we just talked about with Passover. The Feast of Tabernacles was about the fact that they were all living in tents, right? And so the Feast of Tabernacles there on that day, which can you imagine what it must have been like for an Israelite who was walking through the camp as they were in the wilderness? Tent here, tent there. You're walking all through these tents and you round the corner and you see the tent. Not just a tent, the tent. The tent of meeting, the place where God would dwell. The place where God would meet with man. The place where God was. I guarantee you, If you were walking through there, you saw a tent on your left and a tent on your right, and there's Bob's, and there's Steve's, or whatever their names were, and and then all of a sudden you round the corner, there is a, a certain reverence that you have when you see the tent of tabernacle, or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God said, man, I cannot go up with you because if I go up even in your midst, so what I'll do is, hey, I want to be close to you, so, so make a tent, a place where we can meet, and it might need to be separate from the camp a little bit just so that I don't consume people, right? Like, so, so, but when you see this, this will be the place where I come and I dwell among you, and then Jesus takes this feast of the tabernacles and says, the Holy Spirit will dwell inside you in such a way that you become the tent of meeting and out of your heart comes rivers of water. And he says, man, you will satisfy others as well. So he says, anybody who is thirsty, come to me, come and drink. See, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of you in that way and your cells, which were encoded by the Holy Spirit when God breathed in you, making you who you are. All those cells came to life again, and the Holy Spirit made you something new. The old was gone, and the new had come. And that's what Jesus does in this moment for his disciples, for this group of people who are hiding behind locked doors. They are made into an army by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. 
See, the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, lifts him up so that we can all see him. And then when we are drawn near and he helps us to hear the message and know the truth, when we accept Jesus Christ, he makes us new and he seals us by the Holy Spirit at salvation. And then he begins a new process inside of us. And this is big. Because from the moment of salvation, he begins to remake us entirely. That same passage, Ezekiel chapter 37, a couple paragraphs before that is Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Speaking of the same thing, really. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So the Holy Spirit comes, and from the moment he is inside of us, there is something that happens where he begins to change us and work on us and he regenerates us and starts this deep work inside of us, changing us from the inside out. See, sometimes I think we get the works of the Holy Spirit confused. Sometimes I think, and I, this is, I, I'm sure there's a theologian who has said this somewhere and probably much better than I will be able to say it. I haven't found the person to say it, and so I'm just going to say it, and you could take it with a grain of salt because this is just coming from Alan's mind. But what I see in Scripture is this. From the moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit is working in you, and the result of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you, the end result is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is still indwelling inside of you and developing the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. The result of salvation and what the Holy Spirit does as a result of regenerating you, called sanctification, changing you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where the Holy Spirit is inside of you, both giving you the desire and the power to change. All of that is a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling at salvation. So if you've not had the Acts 2 experience, let me say to you, the Holy Spirit is still dwelling within you, already doing something inside of you and changing you. The end result is fruit. Now, the other experience, that's an empowering thing, and the end result is gifts. Okay? Fruit is the result of salvation. Gifts are the result of the empowering of the baptism. You can take it or not. I've not heard somebody else say it, but that's all I see in Scripture. And I, I don't want to try to, like, dissect those two things, but I do see... Time and time again, people who have gifts but not fruit. And there are time and time again where I see people who have fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithful, gentleness, and self-control. They have those fruit, but they don't have the gifts. And what I see is that that is a result of salvation that the Holy Spirit does inside of us and develops in us, does a deep work toward a new heart which changes us so that we want to live for him. Okay? Which means, every time I see in Scripture, 
The Holy Spirit doing a regenerative work inside of somebody. I think that's a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling. And every time I see the Holy Spirit doing an empowering work, I think that's a result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Okay? There you go. My two cents for whatever it's worth. Every time you see empowering work, that's something else. Every time you see regenerating work, that's a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling at salvation. What we are talking about in John chapter 20, Paul talks about in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Here's what he says. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit new life. New birth, new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously pours that Spirit out on us through Jesus Christ. So then, according to Philippians 2, 12 and 13, we work out what he has worked in. The best, the best change is inside out. Let's go back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 22. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe John chapter 20, verse 22, is the birth of the church. This is when it begins, when Jesus gives the disciples his Holy Spirit, which makes them new and does a deep work inside of them, making them new. Doesn't mean they're perfect. They've got a ways to go. But new life has begun. So if you have not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Yet you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He, the Holy Spirit, has made you new. And he is in you. He has been generously poured out on you by Jesus Christ, your Savior. Can we just stop for a moment and think about that? Just think about this. Who does this? There is no other God like this. Every other God says, do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And if you do, then I'll be happy with you. There is no other God. Every other God says, live up to my level. And if you do, you might make me happy. Right? Do good enough. But our God first comes among us and then he gives himself for us and then he gives himself to us and he says i get that you're broken i get that you are dry bones i get that because of sin you cannot do what is necessary so i'm going to go ahead and put myself inside of you and do a regenerating work see some people actually think and i'm not just some most people 
who have not been in a church that preaches this way, thinks that Christianity is in some way, man, you just got to live all these rules, and if you live all these rules, then God will let you go to heaven. That's what they think the gospel is, the good news is, which is not that at all. The good news is this, that you can't. And so God did it for you. And then on top of that, he puts himself inside of you, and then he does it in you. Isn't that incredible? There's no one like this. He is the only one like this. It's unheard of. And this is what God does for you. This is a new age. This is the age of our spirit, where the spirit becomes ours when he is in his church when the holy spirit anointed jesus jesus became the christ when the holy spirit anointed the disciples they became the church and just as god sent jesus to live in this world jesus says now you the church the called out ones get sent back in too. And you also live by the power of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did. We are sent as he was sent. We were raised as he was raised. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, Romans chapter 8 verse 11, says now lives inside of us. Did you hear this week on Friday about the senator? Menendez or whatever. Do you guys hear about this? Did you read any of these articles? Super encouraging, right? Here's a sitting U.S. senator that it turns out for like eight or ten years we've known he has been on the take. Like people have just been bribing him left and right, and we've known it. And we tried to indict him, and it turns out we weren't able to. And then um, he gets revoted in. <laughs> as the senator. And finally, on Friday, they released that he's being indicted again. And, and he had in his house like $500,000 in cash just laying around his house. Like, you, you know how I found 100 bucks in my jacket? No joke. They looked through his closets and in his jackets, they were finding like envelopes full of cash just in all of his different jackets. And then they start finding gold bars inside of his house. Like there's like $100,000 worth of gold bars. There was like 600 grand inside of his house. And I'm like reading all of this and I'm like, how did he ever leave that house? Do you know what I'm saying? Like there was, there was a, a couple of Christmases ago, Christmas Eve, we were trying to show, like, the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus, right? And so we had Pastor Caleb at the time. Um, he brought up, like, we had, we prepared some frankincense and some myrrh. And for gold, I was like, I'm going to bring real gold. And so I contacted a friend of mine who's invested in gold. And so we had gold coins, right? And so we, we actually gave Caleb uh, some gold coins to sit there with the kids and pull out and say, hey, this is real gold. And, and they were kind of like, oh, yeah, that's nice because it looks almost exactly like the gold coins with chocolate inside. <laughs> and that's what they thought they were. But if you felt these things, you would know this is real gold. Like, and so Caleb was in his pocket walking around with five grand. 
on this Christmas Eve. And I was real careful right after service to find Caleb and get that back. Because, like, otherwise I was on the hook for I'm like, I love you, man. I don't love you that much, okay? Like, but when you're walking around with five grand in your pocket, you walk around a little differently. First time you go overseas and you have to bring cash with you, you don't put it in your back pocket because you hear all the horror stories of people pickpocketing and stuff like that. So you get that little thing that you keep inside your shirt. You know what I'm saying? It goes around your neck and you put your money inside there and you put your passport inside of there. And then you know it's nice and safe right there, right up against your chest, right? Like, but even still, when you're carrying cash on that level around with you, you walk a little bit differently. Maybe with a little spring in your step, you know? No biggie. I got $5,000 in gold in my pocket, you know? But then also, you're just a little more careful, too. You're watching a little bit more closely those around you. And I wonder, if you have 600 grand in your house, how do you ever leave? Because you know that 600 grand is just sitting there. It wasn't in a safe. Like, it was just in his closets and it stuck everywhere, according to what the indictment said. Like, he must have a really good security system. You know what I'm saying? And every time he put that jacket on, he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I got 10 grand on this one. You know, like you walk around a little differently. And when God himself is inside of you, you walk around a little differently. Because God himself has decided to tabernacle in us. The Holy Spirit. And, and what's really interesting is there are times when the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Spirit. There's times when he's called Spirit of God. There's times, even in the New Testament, where even in a small amount of verses, he's referred to as all three of them, the Spirit of Christ as well. That when the Holy Spirit lives in you, Christ also lives in you. That's how Jesus Christ dwells in you, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. If you want to read some more this week, here's a couple of passages. I'll let you just write these down if you want to read more about this, because there's tons of implications of the fact that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and I can't get to all of them, so I would just encourage you to read these, and, and man, in your own time, if you're like a high performer, like, go ahead and, and, and take an extra step, read some of these passages. I'm going to go quick through them. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. John 14, verses 15 through 18. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. And actually, you could keep reading because it talks about what it means that we've been adopted because of the Holy Spirit being put inside of us. You could even read more than just the 8, 8 through 11. But Romans 8, 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. If you're going through hard times, what it means that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and through 15. Like all, Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. These are all good passages to just see what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is inside of me. But that's not actually the last thing Jesus said. After he puts the Spirit inside of them, he says this, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
What in the world is that about? Jesus had, at a few times in his ministry, given his disciples authority. He gave them authority to heal. And he gave them authority to cast out demons. He gave them authority to set people free. He gave them authority. But he never once, during his ministry, gave them authority to forgive sins. Never once. But here he is, after his death and resurrection, and Jesus did, Jesus had the authority. That was something that was authority he had. Never says that the Holy Spirit gave him the authority to forgive sins. That is because he was fully God. Now, Jesus dies and raises from the dead. And after his death and his resurrection, when he puts his spirit inside of his people, creates the church, a new age has dawned. An age which is unlike anything that has happened before. He says to them, see now is the age of forgiven sins. And he says, I have provided a way for sins to be forgiven. And as they share the good news, they could honestly tell people who believe their message, your sins are forgiven. And they didn't need to question. The moment someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, now they know your sins are forgiven. But if they don't accept the message of Jesus Christ, then their sins are not forgiven. They're still in their sins. That's what John 3, 36 says. And that's where we are today. I cannot forgive anyone's sins. But I, when I know somebody has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, with confidence can say, your sins are forgiven. And if somebody hasn't, I can say, you are still in your sins. They count against you. This is the gospel. At its core, this is it. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short, every single one of us. And it's not about living up to what he has called us to do. Instead, it is about that he has come to us and then he gave himself for us and then he gave himself to us. And now, forgiven, we live a different way by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is breathed in us and we are given new life. And the Spirit dwells in us. And the Spirit, by the Spirit, Jesus dwells in us. We are like walking temples walking tabernacles where the spirit is in us if we believe in in our hearts confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and this is the work of the church this is it as soon isn't it isn't it so interesting 
When I read this, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23, isn't it so interesting that even before he empowers them, because he'll tell them, hey, now wait, 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 wait. I got something more for you. So just hang out in Jerusalem for a bit, okay? I want you to stay because I got something more for you. We'll get to that. In a week, we'll talk about that. But he says, no sooner does he put his spirit in them that he says, and guess what? As the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. And you will announce the forgiveness that I have done for you the way I made it for you. Now you are a part of that. For him, the church exists for this purpose of communicating to others as being those who have been sent. You are in your circle as a result of salvation. You have been sent as Jesus was sent. And just as Jesus walked around with 12 people around him as he was pouring into them, you and I now go to our circles in that same way and we are like Jesus to them. We've been sent among them and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us as Jesus had the Holy Spirit inside of him. We have been anointed and we are the church, the called out ones who are sent back in. That's us. That's who we are. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is why we always come back to this. Because this is the biggest step. The largest step of faith is the step of faith wherein you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Not because you can now live up to what he's asking of you, but because Jesus already did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he died making that yours in order that you might have forgiveness for your sins. This is what Jesus did. And then he empowers you. And then he says, now live out, work out what I have worked in.